You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Greetings, this is Greg Stokes and Doug Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. We have a special guest on today, Scott Kushner, columnist for NOLA.com and host of Polk and Kush Podcast. We're taking a little break from the normal markets discussion and having an interesting person talk about something that we find super interesting. Specifically, Scott is an expert on the New Orleans sports scene and specifically the Pelicans, Tulane football, the Saints, etc. Anyway, Scott, thank you for taking the time to join us today and looking forward to hearing your thoughts about where things are headed on the New Orleans sports scene. Happy to do this. I'm certain I'm the dumbest person that has been on this podcast. So <laughs> I was certainly the least credentials. So this is very exciting to share this very haughty space. So before we get started, we were talking about how our firm has been season ticket holders of the mm-hmm. Hornets and the Pelicans since the inception of the team in the early 2000s. And part of it is because we want to support having an NBA team in town. It's really an awesome attribute to have for any big city. But historically, it's been a situation other than the Chris Paul era. The team has really been in the doldrums. We had Anthony Davis for a while. But as an entity that has tickets to games, we've had historically had issues giving these tickets away. And over the last couple of years with Zion, last three years, he's in his third year now, that things have changed. And all of a sudden, people are more interested in going to the games. So I personally have been subscribed to Bally Sports where you can watch the Pelicans. What a product. What a product. <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't, even, I didn't even know what that was until recently. But, you know, you got to. It also, yeah, it's like 200 bucks. I just paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, it's like charge what they like what a cable package would cost 10 right. years ago. Right, exactly. So all things considered, I think the Pelicans are probably the most exciting thing to happen to the New Orleans sports scene. This iteration of the Pelicans in recent memory, obviously, now that the Saints don't have a franchise quarterback, things do not look real promising for them. But I want to get your thoughts. And for anyone who wants to listen to Scott's thoughts in more depth about the Pelicans team, they can refer to Scott's podcast, Polk and Kush. But while we have you in the short time that we have, I want to get your high-level thoughts about where the Pelicans stand today and where do you think from the standpoint of How far are we out from a championship title and what do we have to do to get there based upon the current roster that we have? Sure. You know, it feels like such a crapshoot often with the NBA, right? In that there's a lottery that determines where the best players go often. And then on top of that, your, you know, injury luck and then a handful of things just kind of have to fall into place. Pelicans have had a series of things already fall into place as far as they made a trade that ended up netting some great assets. They won the lottery. They've done a lot of the pieces. They've got a GM who clearly is thinking in larger terms. They've got a coach who everybody respects. They've got a lot of these things lined up. Now, there are several pieces that have to connect now in order to get to that next level. And I think the most exciting part is that climb up, which is what you saw the tail end of last season, where they went from being very much an also-ran team, one of the bottom 10 teams in the league, and then they traded for CJ McCollum. 
They got Brandon Ingram back for at least enough games, and then they made this little run in the postseason. I think they showed a lot of people what they're capable of. You enter the offseason, you get Zion Williamson back, and now you've got this this series of assets that are all there and all look right. And now this season is really about connecting them and seeing just how much potential is actually there. So before I think you can really start saying, where's the championship window, et cetera, you want to see what Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, Willie Green, David Griffin, how all these things work together when they're all together. Cause we had not seen much of that yet until the first, you know, 10 games of this season. How important is Zion to this team? I mean, last year when we made our run late in the season, it was without Zion. He's back this year. There's always risk of injury with him. But from a stat sheet perspective, it looks like you know he's putting up strong numbers. But in terms of his importance as a teammate and bringing us through at least a high seat in the playoffs, where do you see his fit with the team? I think without him, you saw what the Pelicans are, which is a scrappy seven or eight seed who can give a team a run, but probably can't close out a lot of playoff series. With him, you have a ceiling that is significantly higher if you're able to incorporate him correctly. And I think they're going to have some trouble getting used to that, mostly because he's a very unique player. He commands a lot of attention, which is helpful for an offense, but it also is challenging to piece together defensively and is also hard to play next to because he kind of has one move. He's very good at the one move, but he has one move. So you got to find a way to incorporate that. But I do think he will raise the bar to a level that they could never have gotten to otherwise. And so he is an all-star. You know, he was an all-star as a rookie. He deserved to be there. He is a spectacular player. He just is it is challenging to figure out exactly where he fits alongside Ingram and McCollum when you have a successful team. Because he was great in that second year, but the team was very bad around him. But he also had a bad coach and the supporting cast, with the exception of Ingram, was pretty terrible. So I think he raises their ceiling tremendously and he is going to be the biggest key to getting them into the conversation of being a contender. So going back to the 2019 draft, it was basically everybody – and then Zion. And a lot mm-hmm. of the discussion at the time was, I think the number two pick was Ja Morant or something like that. And so mm-hmm. going back to that draft, is Zion still the number one pick overall? Hard to say because Ja Morant has been unbelievable and has been it's more so durable good. than Zion is. And if you were to draft them now, like after three years, you had a redraft. I would think most would take Ja number one, mostly because he's been healthier. And his yeah. game feels more translatable to the NBA, but I still think Zion actually has more potential than Ja does overall. But, you know, it's a three-point league and it's a league that's based on, you know, guard play a lot. So Zion, I don't think you can call Zion a bus fight. It's not Sam Bowie, you know, <laughs> not in that territory. But I think probably Ja is a more valuable NBA piece today. If you had to put Zion in like a top, would he be top 30, top 20 player as it stands right now and where do you think he could potentially get to if he got healthy and got into like a routine yeah it's hard to say he's such a unique player and i've said that now a hundred times it's hard to know exactly where he belongs what he was two seasons ago so he missed the entire year after being hurt but what he was two seasons ago was one of the best scorers in nba history as far as efficiency he was essentially shaquille o'neal Mm -hmm. you know, without the dominant defense. So 
He doesn't rebound great. He doesn't defend great, but he can score at the rim with an efficiency that almost nobody in this league has ever done it before. So I think he's probably a top 25 player right now. I think he's a bona fide all-star. That's what that would put you in. Mm-hmm. But whether or not he can get into that top 10, which Anthony Davis flirted with while he was here, he was first team all NBA a couple of times. He was right about there. If Zion can get into that range, which I think is very reasonable for his talent level, I do think that, you know, the Pelicans could be way better because I think the supporting cast around him and the general direction of the franchise is much better than AD ever had around him here. Speaking of Anthony Davis, and I want to get your thoughts on the trade. I mean, it's going down now, at least the way the chips are falling. We'll see what happens with this year's lottery, but it could be maybe the best trade in NBA history for a franchise. How did that particular trade unfold? And what does that mean to at least have David Griffin here while orchestrating the the new team? What does that mean to the Pelicans going forward? Well, that trade was so interesting because Anthony Davis asked out with a year plus left on his contract. And the Pelicans basically told him, you know, screw you. Like, we're not going to trade you before the All-Star break. And everybody there was mad at AD. They were offended by the situation. It was at the time, it was unprecedented. Now people, Kevin Durant requested trade with four years left. Ben Simmons requested one with five years left. Like it's now fairly commonplace, but at the time it was a really momentous occasion that he did it. And so he wanted to go to the Lakers. He was orchestrating the deal for the Lakers. He kind of poisoned the well to the other, you know, 28 teams. But what it ended up happening was that the Lakers now became under a lot of pressure. And what David Griffin was in the parlance of your people, he shorted them. He basically said, over the long run, this is a team that is built around an aging LeBron James that is going to be continually trying to get short-term gains over and over again. So let's push the benefits of this trade out as far as possible. So not only did he go take their, you know, three of their four best young players, he got the number four pick in that year's draft, which they kind of squandered. But then he pushed out everything else as far as he possibly could, which included last year's draft pick, which ended up turning into Dyson Daniels. And then this year, he has the ability to swap with the Lakers, who are 3-10 and 10 as of this recording, and could very well be in the top five, seven spots of the lottery. And the ability to just kind of continually push out all of that has made the Lakers a mess because they have nothing left to trade right now. They can't trade these picks, so they can't go upgrade their team. In the meantime, the Pelicans are sitting in the short position, just like waiting for a benefit to come down the road and their benefits keep coming because they not only have this swap and they have another pick and then another swap coming up later. So it is kind of the gift that keeps on giving, especially when you think that Brandon Ingram came in the trade and he's an all-star too. And he might be every bit as good as Anthony Davis is for this roster right now. Right. And we were able to get Josh Hart and unload him for CJ McCollum. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So, and Larry Nance too, I think. Yeah. And the Alonzo Ball was part of that. And so it was like a lot of things came together. That trade ends up netting way more than it probably should have. So, right now, if you wouldn't mind talking about the age on the present roster in accordance with the fact that we have these picks that are coming down the pipeline, how does mm-hmm. that all translate into like we're a good team this year? Right now, if you look at 538, which is a statistical modeling service, they put us going into the playoffs and like as a mid seed type of yeah. team. Where do you see the Pelicans over the next three or four years 
in light of the fact that we have, you know, this young roster, which I want to hear your thoughts about more and the fact that we have these potentially high draft picks. Well, the Pelicans, what they've done is really believed in this group. And unlike a lot of teams that I've ever seen, they went out and extended CJ McCollum before, you know, his deal was up. They went and extended Larry Nance before his deal was up. They extended Zion Williamson, you know, at his normal rookie deadline, but they've got him locked down for a number. So this core can stay together. These top five or six guys in this roster have a ability to build together. Now, is it the right five or six guys is the question. CJ McCollum is not playing great to start this season. He's a little older. He's, you know, I think 30 or 31. Will he tail off? Because if he tails off, then all of a sudden the trajectory of this thing is totally different. But you've got Brandon Ingram on a long-term deal without a player option at the end. So his deal is particularly long. Zion also does not have a player option at the end. So you have a long time to get this thing right. And you can certainly tweak pieces around the edges, but they are not going to be judged on one playoffs. I think that is what's nice about the situation that they're currently in compared to most where it's like, especially under Dell Demps and the Anthony Davis era was like, they were constantly trying to throw first round draft picks to get immediate help. And if that immediate help didn't pay dividends, they were kind of screwed. And now they are just built for this very long timeline. Now, whether or not this group is going to get incrementally better to fit that timeline is a question that no one can answer. But they have given themselves the opportunity to say, if this is the right group, they've got nothing but time to get it together, fail in the playoffs, fail together in the playoffs, tweak what's right around the edges, and then go out and try to win. And that is a really rare thing. And you know, you've seen a lot of NBA teams kind of come together at the end. The Raptors came together with Kawhi for one year. You saw Milwaukee really when they got Drew Holiday, everything kind of spiked up for them. Phoenix sort of came out of nowhere and Chris Paul got there. But you also have seen Golden State, which has this core that has been in place and they've kind of built some stuff around it, but they've been able to build and win with that core all together. And I think that's the model that David Griffin's really looking at. In terms of looking at this current team, I think one thing you can point out is it, maybe they need a better point guard, really somebody to run point and let CJ you know, play off the ball. But what are you thinking is a core piece to this particular team that's missing that elevates them to that next level? Yeah, I think the point guard is definitely, that's revealing itself early in the season is, you know, and I do think they're going to try to experiment with some stuff, which first was McCollum, try that out. Then I think they're going to let Zion do a lot more because two years ago, Zion was very successful offensively running the point and being that point Zion running like an inverted pick and roll where your big is, you know, controlling the ball. And he's so dangerous going downhill with the ball in his hands. So I think there are a lot of options. And again, this all speaks to just the bandwidth and the timeline they've given themselves that a 10-game, 20-game sample size is not cause for panic. It's not like, oh my God, this isn't working. Make a trade, do something, you know, throw it out the window. Like you've got, you know, four or five options. And then I think you're going to see Dyson Daniels enter the rotation pretty soon. I think you're just going to see things evolve in 10 to 15 game samples. And you would think just the way the West is, they're going to be able to win enough games to not have to worry about the play-in and be able to kind of securely have a playoff spot, even if it's not a top three seed, three or four seed even, 
but be able to be in the tournament and then by that time have sort of an optimized rotation. And then you can kind of judge where things go. You know, they could trading for a ball handler at the trade deadline seems like it would make a lot of sense. And especially, you know, Jose Alvarado, I think you're going to see more of, but he can't play 40 minutes a game either at the pace that he plays. He's so fun to watch, by the way. He's the best. I mean, who doesn't love watching him play? What's the status of Kira Lewis? He's been banged up. You know, he had the ACL injury last year. He's yeah. going back to Birmingham now to develop. So he'll be back. But I mean, to say that you can really rely on him as like your lead point guard, I think that's probably a stretch at this moment. Now he could get there, but that's, I don't think they're ready to hand him those reins. I wanted to shift a little bit, and we're talking about all the future and the potential of the Pelicans, and the complete opposite of that is essentially what the Saints have done over the last several years. I mean, you mentioned the, the Lakers trying to build a roster around an aging LeBron James. The Saints did exactly that by trying to build a roster around an aging Drew Brees and really forfeited the future to do that. And we're seeing the results of a post-Drew Brees era right now with that team. In terms of the current state of that franchise, what is your thoughts around the Saints and their potential? You can kind of look at two drafts for the Saints under this regime, right? And like see immediate dividends of where they paid off that 2006 draft, which was the Reggie Bush draft, and all the guys that came out of that, which I think was Jari Evans. And I mean, that was a great draft. Yeah. Colston, all those guys made the team. They were all integral parts. Then they signed Scott Fujita that offseason, like, and they signed Drew Brees, obviously, that offseason. There was just a great draft. And then you look at the 2017 draft, which was similar, where you had Marshawn Lattimore, you got Alvin Kamara, and that was a great draft. And you were able to really kind of redo, like, the Saints had fallen into a pretty bad spot. I think they went seven and nine for three straight years despite Brees putting up, you know, all pro numbers every year, you kind of got into a lull and then that draft pulled you out of it. But now you're five years removed from that draft. The guys, the Trey Hendrickson's of the world who you drafted with value plays are gone. Marcus Williams gone. Like you weren't able to pay them. And in the meantime, you've made some huge mistakes. Peyton Turner at defensive end is a bust. I mean, as far as what we've seen, Marcus Davenport, they gave up two number one picks for. He doesn't produce really hardly anything. And you've let good players walk because you don't have the capital to pay them. As much as the Saints pretend the cap doesn't exist, it exists when you look at all the guys that have walked away that are productive. And so they gave themselves a chance in the short term, a series of unfortunate playoff losses, and then they hung on probably a little bit too long to the wrong guys. And it's really costing them right now. And you do wonder as you watch a team go to three and seven with a coach that no one believes in, no quarterback, no first round pick. You're like, where is the path here? The path might just be take some TNT and blow this whole thing up. Trade Demario Davis, trade Cam Jordan, trade Alvin Kamara and try to start over. And that's difficult to do especially for a franchise that's used to winning. But I just don't see the path for them to rapidly improve. I think otherwise we fall into a sort of rut like the Bills fell into or the Bengals fell into or the Browns yeah. fell into forever. Yeah. We were talking before we had recorded about the importance of a quarterback in the NFL. And we're seeing what happens when you don't have a franchise quarterback right now, which is what we saw last year. It's really hard. You got to be a really good team and they're not that good in other spots, you know? What do you attribute just the absolute misses that the Saints had with trying to draft a quarterback during the Drew Brees era? I mean, they never spent a first-round pick on it, but they tried to get some value guys in the early to mid-rounds. Nobody worked out. Is there somebody to point at and say, what happened here? 
I mean, I think Sean Payton was responsible for a lot of it. But like you said, those are mid-round picks. Look at how many of those guys in the last three, four drafts, period, haven't made the roster, whether they be linebackers or, you know, wide receivers, defensive end. There's a lot of guys in those mid-round picks who did not make the roster. That's way more troubling than the quarterbacks who didn't. But yeah, Ian Book was a failure. And then you can go back as far as the Sean Canfields and Garrett Grayson's like, None of those guys, I don't think, even made another team, much less, right. you know, went on to have good careers. But they were low picks. They were kind of shots in the dark. Where the Saints really failed is Lamar Jackson was on the board. Sean Payton is openly talking about that he thought Lamar Jackson was this great player. Drew Brees was clearly at the end of his career, and they didn't take him. And that would have been a lot better than where they're at now. You know, Sean Payton will always talk about how close they were to getting Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid kind of snuck right in front of him and drafted him. It's like, all that's great. It's nice that he thought those guys were good. He didn't get any of them. So if you weren't willing to use the value that you had, it doesn't do you a lot of good right now. And I do think a lot of the reason that Sean Payton left the Saints this offseason, he saw that quarterback room and was like, this is not going to get better quickly. And it took almost perfect game planning last year and a really good defense for them to even squeeze out nine wins. And I don't think it was a particularly fun way to win nine games. Where does Sean Payton go after this year? I think the Chargers is probably the most likely. They look like they've got a quarterback, but they Mm -hmm. have a bad coach and an owner who's eager to win and needs to make a statement. And they probably don't need the picks as bad as they need the coach. And so that seems like a likely. What do you think we get in return for him? I don't know. I mean, it's such a rare thing. I What did Gruden get? Like a first and second rounder way back when? They don't come up all that often where you can trade a coach. I would think he's worth a first rounder, which would be good, but it won't be as good as the first rounder they gave up to go get Chris Olave. So mm-hmm. it's a little bittersweet. But I do think, you know, they'll end up getting something of value for Sean Payton. But I can promise you they'd rather have Sean Payton than have right. the pick that they're going to get yeah, for Sean Payton. definitely. I mean, the question is, does Dennis Allen last past this year? You can't no. imagine. Yeah. No. He looks hopeless. He looks hopeless. He looks helpless. He screwed up the quarterback situation beyond comprehension. How you don't at least protect Jameis by saying like, oh, yeah, he's still hurt. That's why we can't play him. He's like, no, he's totally healthy. We just benched him for this guy who's also bad, if not worse, and has been benched by three other teams. Like, And I don't know why. I mean, just if you're not going to play Jameis, just why not just trust Taysom and just say, look, even though he can't really even throw the ball that well, but we're just going to ride. No. Would it be worse than scoring yeah. 10 points in Pittsburgh? Like they've scored, what, 23 points in two games? It's a very different world for these Saints. And they can't get Alvin Kamara going. They can't get Chris Olave going. They've got talent on the edges. They just feel rudderless without an offensive line and without a quarterback. And that's just an unfortunate spot of where they stand. They've got to make some very hard business decisions this offseason. And And they went and signed the Honey Badger and Jarvis Landry, who just looks like so tired. Yeah. Washed, I think, is the word that we're all looking for. I think making some business decisions out there. Right. He's avoiding <laughs> some contact. I don't think he was really all that locked in. You know, he's been around, played a lot of games and a lot of miles in a small body. And, you know, everybody loves him. But he was not ready to fill that role. And to sign May, again, another just mistake, the flat-out misevaluation to use the money that Marcus Williams got from Baltimore. And instead of re-signing him – you go ahead and you trade and you get Tyron Matthew and you get Marcus May. And neither of those guys have been that good. And so- What about giving up CJ? 
Yeah. I mean, that one is like a personality thing and it's like trying to maintain the culture. It's like the culture's obviously gone. Like right. these guys aren't showing up every week with the same culture they had two, three years ago. Like that's gone. And so you're worried that, you know, he's going to rock the boat. It's like, you probably needed someone to rock the boat. Like you made a mistake. You gave him away for literally nothing. And the line coming out is you had to get something because he wasn't going to re-sign in the offseason. It's like, who cares? Trey Anderson didn't re-sign in the offseason. It was pretty good they hung on to him for that last year. Marcus Williams didn't re-sign. Good thing to hang on to him until they go to free agency. But they keep making these mistakes. And eventually that stuff catches up to you. And when you don't have Drew Brees to kind of cover for a lot of the mistakes, it becomes difficult in a hurry. And that's where they're at now. And they just look like a bad roster with a lot of flawed players and a coach that very clearly is a bad coach. And they're going to have to move on. And, and that's okay. It's not like they gave up a lot to get him or anything. They thought they could rely on continuity and they just made a mistake. And that's one of the easiest things they'll have to fix is, is getting a new coach. Yeah. We probably take for granted that we had what 13 or 14 years of just relative stability and Breeze as quarterback and constant, yes. you know, top two or three seed in the NFC and playoffs every year. And the city was fun. Yeah. And so I regret how much I nitpicked Drew Brees. Right. <laughs> I walked out of a Ravens game the other day. I was like, God, I feel like an idiot. I used to bitch about Breeze and like the way he would miss. I was like, that was stupid. I was like, <laughs> I miss all of that. Yeah. All we needed was for Doug to get season tickets to the Saints this year. Yeah, I got them my first year. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a value play, but it turned out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure those games in December will go for big money. I'm sure you'll reap the rewards of that one. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, is New Orleans a basketball town now? Do you think the city can get as excited about the Pelicans as they have been about the Saints? I just can't see that happening. But I don't know about as excited. And it depends on how you define the city, right? The way that people on airline have always described it to me is like, you look at New Orleans, Jefferson Parish, St. Tammany to a degree, but really New Orleans, Jefferson Parish is like the Pelicans base. And those people will buy in if the team is really good and be very excited and love it. The problem is the Saints base goes all the way across to Lafayette, Lake Charles, you know, in one direction and all the way to like, you know, the Alabama beaches and all that, the other direction. And that group is going to be really hard to get to buy in until you're like in real championship contention because those folks aren't going to come in, you know, for your Tuesday night game against the Bulls. Right. The same way they will for, you know, six Sundays, seven Sundays a year. So it is a much smaller pool to draw from. But I think inside the city itself, I think you'll see excitement that's similar. I hope so. I think that the product that the Pelicans and the NBA has is so much better than the NFL. I mean, it's a two and a half hour game. Yeah. There's action all the time. NFL, college football can last four or five hours. Baseball yeah. is the absolute worst, in my opinion. It's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about that on a previous podcast, how I think it was the ALCS, the tickets were going in New York for like $15 in game six or something like yeah. that. Like nobody cares, right? No, it's just there's a very dedicated base to the baseball fans. And, and I think – the rest of them are a little more general populist. I do think the NFL does a good job and it's so enormously popular, but in a lot of ways, a Sunday on your couch is significantly more fun than a Sunday mm -hmm. inside the stadium. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem with the NBA is that, and the same problem with the MLB is just keeping somebody focused for 82 games or 162 games. Yeah. It's just very difficult. Keeping the players focused. Right. Yeah. Well, you've diminished all these leagues, expand the playoffs. There's, 
20 teams in a 30-team league make the playoffs now in the NBA. Yeah. The games mean nothing. And so Steph Curry comes to town. He's sitting on the bench. Right. You know, you just – every other game, there's a star that's here and doesn't play. And that, I think, gets hard if you're a season ticket holder. It'd be like, all right, got a big game tonight. And then whoever you're playing against doesn't even play. And you're like, all right, well, you know, it's nice to go watch your team. But that does not happen in the NFL. Most of the time, if you're playing the big quarterback, the big receiver, the big runner, you're going to see that guy play. Yeah, right. That's a great observation. Like that even sometimes doesn't happen in like if a season's locked up at the end of the year, sometimes they'll even play their guys to keep them sharp. Yeah. We're coming up on a half hour. We promised Scott this would be 30 minutes long, but maybe I want to just wrap up. And I mean, you're a New Orleans guy and all things New Orleans sports. In terms of your state of the city right now in general, and just as a citizen of this city, even though I, I think you're now in Jefferson Parish, but just somebody that's in and around New Orleans and maybe not just specifically for sports, but we've been in the news so much recently. How would you say, what's the direction of the city now and how do you feel about it as a concerned citizen? I feel like it hit the deer and then it's <laughs> starting to like, okay, I think the recall effort for LaToya showed, it doesn't work, showed a little bit of like, all right, let's just not sit here and just get dumped on. Let's try to do something, you know, and not to get political on it, whatever. But I think that was a, a very clear, like, okay, we see there's problems. Let's try to do something about them. I think that's a good start recognizing where the problems exist. And then, yeah, I feel like it's got to start to take its way back up. So I think we've, we've addressed the problem, right? No hurricane for a year, (laughs) no no hurricane for a year. It'd be nice. (laughs) I think we've addressed the problems. I think everyone knows what the problems are now. I don't think anybody's fooling themselves. The problems don't exist. What is the, whenever you're an addict, right? It's the first step is addressing that there is a problem. (laughs) I think we've gotten to that stage where we've addressed that there is a problem and now everything is going to, you know, has the ability to bounce back up from there. So I'm optimistic but realistic at the same time, I suppose. But it's always an adventure to live here. And then every now and again, going through COVID was, I think, like the hardest, right, of not getting the benefit of the things and still dealing with the problems. Yeah, you got all the bad with none of the good in New Orleans for 18 months. You're right. Yeah, I think there's a long fallout from that. And now we're on the other side of that. And at least the basketball team, I think, is good. Tulane football was good and fun. And uh, LSU's good, so... There's a lot happening and festival season will be here before you know it. And it's all, it all feels like it's a little bit on the upswing. I agree. All right, Scott, thank you so much for joining. People can find you at NOLA.com, I'm guessing, as well as uh, Polk and Kush podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com.
The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.